0: You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Rico, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Denver? Welcome back to the episode. I've got a great investor guest in the studio today. He's been investing for almost 20 years. He's run the gamut from fix and flips, in-state investing, out-of-state investing, syndications, rentals, all sorts of uh, investing activities, which are the type of investors I like to have in the studio. So I've got Matt Amundsen here, who's a Denver resident, Denver investor, and also a Denver-based real estate agent in the studio to talk about your story, talk about some of your, your wins, a couple of the lessons you learned over the years. But Matt, I am pumped to have you in the studio, man. Thanks for having me, so let's jump into your story. I think you officially started investing, was it 16 years ago? Uh, yes, it would have been about, yeah, the end of, tail end of 2007. Okay, 2007. So, uh, t- you know, the market was about to go through what market did. Before yes. I talk about how you got into real estate investing, talk about where you were in life then and why you got into real estate investing and how you got bit by the real estate bug.
1: Well, yeah, I had, uh, I had always wanted to get into real estate. You know, I would just always seen... Um, the success people have had with it, some of the late night infomercials.
0: The Carlton Sheets ones? Carlton Sheets ones. Did you ever buy his course? I did. Did you? Okay, I never did, but I remember the infomercials.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, but when I was younger, I bought it and I didn't really do much with it. So for me, it was the catalyst of, uh, like I said, when I started investing, I was newly married and pregnant with our first child. So that was what lit the fire for me to be like, I need to get a little more financial stability, wanted to make a little more money, provide for the family. So uh,
0: what was your career then?
1: Uh, I was a full-time musician. So I was playing was uh, playing, the drums six, seven nights a week, teaching lessons three days a week, playing all sorts of, playing all the gigs, playing all over the place. And that's, that's also just very time intensive. You're not, you're not playing your drums. You're not making any money. So definitely wanted to get, get to the point where I could get to that passive income. Cause mm-hmm. I knew that that's where I start to have a little more freedom. In our lives, and that's what I was looking for.
0: Okay, and so was there like a specific a specific event or time that triggered you getting into investing, or was there just the build up of you know a couple years of you wanting to get in the game? Like I said, it was just a lot of years of just kind of mulling it over and thinking about it, and
1: then just that the slap in the face of the reality of bringing a child into the world was oh
0: like, crap, oh, you have to provide
1: Yeah, it really just was all of a sudden one moment, just like snap, like wake up call. It was just like oh, I've got to. I've got to do this now. (laughs) So when I started out, pretty much all I could do, because I just started out with like limited amount of money. So I'd owned our primary house. And so I took out a home equity line of credit on that. So I only had like $20,000, $25,000 to work with. So basically it was just, I could just flip houses, right? So I was thinking, let me just try to grow that little pot of money, right? And so that's what I did. So I just started, just found a house that I could buy with that, would you know do different hard money loans, different things like that, and just bought one, flipped it, went to the next one. How'd your first flip go? Um, that's, that's actually funny. I was thinking I would buy and hold that one, and then when I started looking at how long it would take to kind of get the the ball rolling with that strategy, I was just like, I'd be doing much better if I flipped this one. So I flipped it, and I you know I only made like nine thousand dollars or something.
0: But for the first flip, the fact that you didn't lose money. Right, and, You, you know, got so paid for your education. I got paid for the education there. And yeah,
1: like after talking to some other people, you know, years down the road, they were just like, yeah, you know, if you didn't lose money on your first one, you did, you did pretty well. So I kind of felt, though, at the time, like for me to make $9,000 playing the drums, that was like, you know, a couple months worth of work. And so I was still playing and I did that amount of work on that deal, made that money. And then, like I said, then I had, you know, a few more thousand dollars to go into the next
0: deal. And were you like fixing up the property yourself, or do you have a GC or subs, or were you like a one-man flipper show?
1: No, I, I never wanted to do all the work myself. Um, just, just didn't want to run into kind of a lack of skill set there. Yep. Plus, you know, you hear people say it's just like your your job is to find money, find the deals, and then, like I said, I would just kind of coordinate GCs and different people to do the the work on the properties. It just seemed like a better way to get momentum going, get get in and out of the property quicker. So that's that's what I decided to do. So like I said, I flipped about four or five in there, you know, nine grand or something on that first house. I think you know, it was about fourteen thousand on the next, you know, and then got to a point where I had I had I was all cash in on I think it was my fifth house. But by this time the the first time home buyer tax credit was coming to an end there. Um what year was that? Was that twenty two thousand ten? I, don't know, I, was in the, I know what it is. I was in the
0: game, so I don't remember the All specifics.
1: Right. I can't remember the exact timeline on that one. But, the, you know, this was this was in that crash, and the, the government was artificially trying to hold the market up by giving people, first-time homebuyers, like an $8,000 yep. credit to go out and buy a house. So I was under the gun trying to flip this house and and get it sold with, with that time frame and get that buyer in there, and then it, it missed. <laughs> so then things truly fell off the cliff. So by then, luckily, I was into that cat, that house with all cash, so I didn't have like a hard money loan ticking on that one. So, talked with people, and they're like, "You got to rent it out, rent it out." That's the only thing we can do right now. So I was like, "All right." So I looked at renting it out, and I was like, "Okay, it could make about nine hundred bucks a month on rent." What part of town was this in? Um, these were um, East Denver, so like Colfax, Quebec area. Okay, Colfax between Quebec and Yosemite. So I rented it out and then just kind of looked around a bit and I was just like, man, it'd be great if I could take, get some of this equity out, re-leverage it. So then I found, did a little digging around and found a commercial lender actually at that time because they were, they were having a hard time as well. So I found a commercial lender who was willing to work with me just with these single family, the single family project. So he cashed me out what I had into it, about 76,000. And I was able to take that and then go pick up two other rentals. So you shifted from flipping to rentals then? Had to, that's, sometimes the, you know, the market tells you what to do. And in that case, that's definitely what the market said to do, and so that's what I, that's what I did.
0: Well, that's, I want to highlight there, because I mean, uh, I mean, you know, that's not a comment for people to gloss over, because you're right, like you, you know, the, uh, you follow the trends the market is doing, and a lot of people don't do that, or they don't pivot with the market. Mm-hmm. You pivoted, and that is what successful investors do.
1: Yeah. So that was the first time that I took like a a loser and turned it into a winner, I guess you could say. Right. Cause I was stuck on that property. I wasn't going to sell it or I was going to take a haircut. If I was going to sell it, I'd had to really drop the price. So, or it could cash flow, like I said, or, and then I could take money out of that re-leverage and buy a couple other houses. Because like I said, then the, the market run off a cliff at that point. So there were other sellers that were pretty desperate as well. So then I was able to pick up two other properties, get pretty good deals on those. And then I liked not just having one rental. I've always felt like that's just about the riskiest place you're gonna be as a real estate investor.
0: If you have one rental? Just one rental.
1: Why? Because the amount of money that you build up over a year in cash flow can just easily get wiped out with like a furnace or somebody driving through your fence or a, a bigger ticket item like that. Yep. That will come down the pike. So I was able to spread that risk out, I guess, in with three rentals. Plus, it, it uh, got me more cash flow at the, than I was going to just get out of that nine hundred. Off that,
0: I want to ask you a question on that because you talk about about risk, and I, I've I've uh, I know a lot of people they you know they scale up on multifamily. Like, hey, I'd rather have like four doors and a fourplex mm-hmm. versus one door for that same risk. And I was like, hey, I get that, but whether I have a fourplex with four doors or four single family homes. I've always viewed them as the same. I'm like, hey, cash flow from property one. Two, three, four, it's all interchangeable in my mind. Mm-hmm. Did you view your, because these are single family rentals, right?
1: We're single family.
0: Did you view them as like a global portfolio? Um, as like, hey, if one kind of starts losing, cash from here will make it up. If the, hey, a water heater goes out on rental one, rental two, three, and four will help, help fund that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I think it, it, it pays to look at it globally like that
1: because there, w- there were times like that where something would happen. And like I said, instead of it wiping out a year's worth of cash flow, it would only take three or four years to overcome that hurdle. So that made it a lot easier to hold them, because like I said, my my quote unquote day job was playing music for a living for tens and tens of dollars. So I didn't really have a lot of financial stability behind me there. So I re- these properties really needed to work. So my criteria at that time was if I can get into a property and it can cash flow $500 a month, I I'll do it. So those are the, those were what I was able to buy at that time. Was it just so just cash flow over mortgage or like full underwriting? Um well, at that point I you know, I wasn't really savvy enough to understand like the some of the costs to operate. <clears throat> so that was above above the mortgage. Okay, so just simplistic, K, $500 above PITI. Yeah. 500 bucks above that. And then like I say, then you learn <laughs> through
0: capex
1: trial, and, yep. yeah. What capex is, and actually, what percentage of that that you think you're going to keep actually stays in your pocket? So, I mean, yeah, you're going to learn your lessons. You know, you you read the books, you go to classes, you study, and you you do the best you can to prepare. But you definitely are going to learn some more lessons once you get in the game.
0: Okay, so it sounds like what 2010, 11, 12, you you shifted towards buying rentals, right? Yeah. So that was that was
1: 2010 when I when I switched into the rental world okay and then uh around that time we had our second kid and so like i said i was still mostly the musician and part-time real estate investor so i was the stay-at-home parent and so with two kids i was kind of (laughs) buried uh people should tell you the second kid is four times as hard not twice as hard so that that kind of put me uh in the weeds a bit which is really sad because some of the classes i was going to that charles roberts was teaching where where there were deals where people were getting, finding the property, getting it with hard money, right at 70% loan-to-value, getting out of it with the long-term debt at 75% loan-to-value, and really not going into those deals with any money at all. You could find a good enough deal that you could get that hard money loan with no money out of pocket. The Burr strategy, essentially, right? The The Burr strategy, but with really low or no money into these deals. So I often think about like if I were able to, operate a little more in that time frame, right? That would have been pretty, pretty good for the career, but is what it is. I was, I woulda, coulda, oh, shoulda, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but I got one of those kind of in later on. It was about 2012. Yeah, it was 2012. So I built up some equity in those properties and then just refinanced, pulled some equity out of that. So I had a little more money to operate and found, tried to do that strategy, got close, to uh, I didn't get it with no money out of pocket. I think it was about thirty-five thousand out of pocket. But found a another property in Aurora, single-family home. Did that. Did that strategy. used the hard money to acquire it, fix it up, refinance it to the long-term debt, put a renter in there. So that took me to the four rentals, and it's kind of yeah, hung out there for a while. You know, had a pretty comfortable lifestyle with with that. You know, about two thousand dollars a month cash flow.
0: And you're also just you were in, in, in busy raising two young kids still, right? And still, yeah, the yeah. two young kids, so. So let me ask you this, because I know like I'm in a situation and a lot of our listeners are too, they're, they're where you were now, hey, they're starting, they're, you know, they have starting a family or a couple of you know, young kids at home, and you know, just life is busy. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, you think back to that time, like what advice would you give yourself or what advice would you give listeners who are kind of in that phase of life? Hey, they're scaling up their real estate investing while they're also, you know, scaling up and growing their family. Right. <clears throat> Um, I,
1: I don't really, I I wish, like I said, the thing that I look back on is I wish I could have been more active in that time when my son was an infant, but it, reality was, I just, I don't think I really could have been time-wise, but I think the, the biggest advice I could give to anybody is, is just, if you haven't gotten started, just get started. You, you just, you have to get in the game at some point. So for me, it was that real start catalyst of, like I say, starting to have kids that really kind of pushed me over the hump on that got me in there but if you're not if you're just on the sidelines waiting 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 you're you're not going to get anywhere with that right so just
0: get started get moving do something and uh, I guess reading me between the lines don't worry about the perfect deal don't worry about market timing just yeah get, get your foot in the yeah
1: get, get your foot in the game get your, foot in the, get, your get yourself in the game like you say study the market but and just like we were saying earlier kind of you got to do what the market tells you to do you know you can't you can't just be like i'm gonna come out and flip houses or i'm gonna come out and do buy and hold like if if i tried to buy a buy and hold rental right now i, I can't find anything that really fits my criteria with the interest yeah. rates and property values what they are
0: yeah. all right so going back here you've got four rentals making about two thousand dollars a month in cash flow uh you're hanging out for a bit you know being you know sounds like being a you know full-time dad still a musician all that. What did you do? When was your next investing step or evolution?
1: Yeah, so once we got a couple years down the road with uh, those properties, and then yeah, now the kids are a little older getting into school age, so now I've got more time. So then I started looking at the amount of equity in those properties and figured, okay, now it's time to pull some equity out of those. What was your ballpark equity back then? Um, I was looking to be able to free up about half a million. Okay, so a really good chunk of money. Like real good chunk of equity there. So then I, I did some, some cash out refi, I didn't take, didn't take quite all of that. So between, between a home equity line on my primary and then some equity out of those okay. rentals, just to have some more capital to get out and get working again on some stuff. You know, so then I, you know, I find a, the, an odd flip here or there, I've never been able to be the flipping machine just with uh, you know, the deal flow and all that that's It's also a hard business it's, to scale. It's hard business to scale and it's just so time intensive. And then, plus, like I said, I like to just find what I know is going to be a good deal, or at least what I can tell is going to be the best deal that I can find. Um, so, if the margin is is too slim, right, I'm going to pass on that deal because I don't want to get I don't want to get stuck on a deal. I'm not doing it just for the education anymore. I want to make sure that I can make some money on it. So then, um, partnered up with uh, you know my good friend of mine, Chris Lawhead, and then we started looking at some deals we could do together. Um, he started, he started looking in other markets, right? So then we were looking down on like Pueblo. He, he, was, he's, he put together a deal in Pueblo that I passed on that he's selling now that I wished I'd gotten in on, you know, again, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Are
0: um, those the two fourplexes? Yeah, the two okay.
1: fourplexes he's selling right now. So you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna catch every deal and your, your risk profile is, is your own, right? So just because somebody feels comfortable doing a deal, you might not feel comfortable doing a deal you've got to, you know, live with yourself, live with your decisions yeah. and sleep well at night. So that was one that I just passed on that would have worked out well. And then we ended up expanding that out a little bit. And we ended up going to Amarillo, Texas, because we found what was not a, a good, sexy market in terms of appreciation or anything, but it was just steady Eddie, looked like the cash flow was going to be, was going to be good there. So we kind of put together like a syndication and, uh, we're trying to get multifamily down there, but it's kind of like a, an old boys club, right? The people that were in that game were pretty entrenched and it's a lot of relationships. And we yep. just were having trouble making those relationships with brokers and stuff to get the access to some of those deals. So we ended up just cobbling together some more single family. Cause again, that's, we we knew how to do that too. So we took we the idea of a bigger portfolio and just did it with assembling, you know, twenty two single duplex triplex doors down there
0: oh wow so you built a 22 door portfolio yep <clears throat> and so you lawhead were there other investors or partners in this group yeah there were some other partners that that lawhead knew from
1: his high school days
0: okay mostly just like lp investors um
1: or were, just a mix of they were kind of more like the the gp side they, they okay they do bigger deals um like hotel builds and and stuff so that we were kind of leaning on them for some more of that expertise of kind of how to structure more of the syndication type deal.
0: And then how did that portfolio and of estate investing, how that play out? That one was tough. <laughs> oh do tell, do
1: tell Matt. <laughs> that one was tough. So we we do believe that we brought we bought some properties in, in worse areas than we were we, we were thinking. We were thinking we were getting like trying to turn like C's into B B plus and seemed like we bought some kind of D and maybe even some
0: F properties. But that's a very common challenge with out of state investing. You don't know the market like you know you, you, I East mean, and you in West Colfax.
1: You, yeah, you try to you try to know the market. We went down there, we did trips down there, and you know, I guess maybe we should have driven some of these properties at night kind of thing. Um, so what rocked us there is because some of those areas were rough, vacancy, right? Went way beyond the pro forma. So you're, you're modeling about 8% vacancy, and we were hitting 20, 25% on some of those.
0: Products. Oh, that just kills your NOI.
1: Just totally killed it. So, like I said, this was not an appreciation play. This was a cash flow play from day one. And then we're just not getting the cash flow we want. So, that one is uh, like you say, you learn, you learn some lessons on, on what works in, in this case, what doesn't work. So then we were kind of sitting on that one, and I, I had the money in that deal. Um, so then it was like, these guys were like, well, what do we want to do? Do We want to sell cut bait and get out of here. And I was just like, no, like I've done this before where you make a mistake and time will erase some of the wounds, right? You can appreciate your way out. So that's what we did down there. We just kind of waited and it took four years for us to kind of appreciate our way out of there. So all in all, it was, uh, about an eight, 8%, 8% IRR in four years. Yeah. So in terms of learning
0: your lessons i mean not a home run but not a home could have been run. way way worse too it wasn't a negative eight percent yeah it wasn't
1: negative so that was just you know the, the power of just being patient and like i say just kind of waiting it out so from some of those trials and tribulations you know and then we've you know had some wins like i had a partner a referral partner like bring me a uh what was this a condo flip it was just a home run and this was uh this was after like after the amarillo stuff or during i think um, but this was you know getting getting this house fixed up and sold on the market uh kind of at the end of the covid craze in the springtime, you know, and just just totally totally crushed this one I made like fifty eight thousand dollars on on a condo where I thought I was just gonna make forty and then just it got bit up and you know you get some of those make you look like a champion, you know you get some of those like you get in Amarillo make you look like you wish you knew what you were doing a little better um. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then Lahead and I, were we found a, a four-unit building in town in Aurora that we, we thought was, again, going to be like a cash cow by trying this new strategy, finding larger two-bed units, take part of the living room, turn it into another bedroom, so now oh, yeah converted to a three-bed. And then we were putting Section 8 tenants in there and then thought, again, like I said, that it looked like it was performing it out as like a cash cow. Well, Section 8 tenants can sometimes be pretty hard on your property. So again, like they're just, the returns weren't hitting where we thought they would. So we ended up looking at an exit strategy on that one, which we hadn't really set out to do in the beginning, but we could, we found a buyer for that one. We, and so this was two or three years ago. This was a couple years ago. Okay. Yeah. So we had a, a friend of ours, uh, a broker, this is before I got my broker license. And he said, yeah, I can get you a buyer for that, for a price that we thought was way too high. <laughs> but we're like, if you can get that price, go for it. And so he did, he brought us a buyer at that price. So that was one of those, we ended up, you know, getting out like making 33% on our money in a year. So that kind of fell into that long-term flip. We sold that pretty close to just like, just over the year mark. And did you just pay the capital gains to take your money or did you do 1031? No, we just, yeah, just paid some cap gains on that. But like I say, you know, you gotta, you get into that long-term flip over that year mark. Oh, it's a much easier tax bill to swallow. So. You know, like you say, you get your wins and your and your losses or your education and stuff, but luckily I've never had anything go negative. Like you said, you know, the the stuff that didn't go well has still been positive. Yeah. You know, like I said, I would set out to make twenty twenty five thousand on a flip, I would make nine. You know, we set out to do twenty percent cash on cash in Amarillo, make eight. So the mistakes haven't been anything god
0: awful terrible, luckily. So, Great. Well, that is always good to hear. <laughs> Now, as we kind of come up here, because I know you and I got connected about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you were on one of our portfolio analysis masterminds, plugged into Property Llama software and put your, some of your rentals into uh, the software, mm-hmm. you analyzed it, and then, you know, that's how we got connected and you started making a lot of moves with your portfolio and started making some different investments. Yeah. Talk about that because this is, I mean, brings us up to like the current speed in the market now sure. and the opportunities today.
1: Yeah. So like, like we're saying, you know, um, when I, when my kids got old enough and I wanted to be a little more active, um, with my investing business was just still struggling with deal flow and, or like just the finding consistently good deals. Right. Or or like you said, the Amarillo thing where we're trying to make 20% on our money, we're making eight. So just some frustrations with, with really finding good enough deals and you know, now that I've been in the game for a while, the, the amount of money behind me, you know, has grown, right? It's not just $20,000 getting into a deal, you know? So when, when I started looking at the portfolio through the portfolio analysis, I mean, I knew I had a bunch of equity there, but like I said, I didn't really know where to go with it to be productive with that. So I, it's just easy to sit on your rentals. They're cash flowing. It's just a familiar thing. It's not a bad place to be. No. You know, most of us like that. So I started looking at it though when I looked at how much equity was trapped in there almost a million dollars of trapped equity but I never really knew like I said where I could put that. So then we started so then started becoming aware of these passive investments. So really when you get into the accredited investor world, right, you have a lot more options yep. open up to you. So then I was I was pretty impressed by the the sponsors that are on these passive deals and the returns that they're getting and the track record that they're getting. And so I'm looking at my portfolio from the standpoint of, you know, I'm I'm just not as good at this as these guys are, but I can get in this game because I'm now an accredited investor. So then I started being like, all right, so some of that cash that I had aside that I'd taken out of those rentals five or so years ago, like I said, I'd grown some here and there with some deals, a good flip and some buy and hold in Amarillo, but then I I started allocating that money to these passive funds. And so, you know, I put some in, put about 100,000 in one fund or 100,000 in another 50,000 here and whatnot. And then we did the portfolio analysis and then it was just like, okay, let me uh, let me run some numbers on like, what would happen if I sold some of these? So even selling those properties, even if I had to pay all of the capital gains on that, the the numbers with getting into these passive investments we're going to double the growth, of my portfolio. So that got my attention,
0: so even though, hey, you sell a property and traditionally, you know most people want to do a ten thirty one to defer you know mm-hmm. capital gains and and uh, depreciation and capture, you paid it. um and even with that, yeah. you forecast to double your money. You forecast to double the money,
1: the, the the growth, yeah, because you know again, with the ten thirty one i I wasn't really feeling like last year I could find a good rental to replace those rentals I had with right just low low cash on cash return because again I like that's been one of my strategies since the beginning is the property has to be able to absorb the hits right and pay for itself and then plus have some more money to put in my pocket so without really being able to find that product anymore that worked like it did when I started it was just like what can I do that that fits this fits a growth model better because uh I'm still looking at six years until my youngest is out of the house. And so I was trying to, trying to get to a financial freedom number by that, by that point. And the track I was on
0: wasn't gonna do it. Do, do, uh, so do you mind sharing what that, is that like a monthly or yearly cash flow, I presume? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it had been kind of that traditional like
1: $10,000 a month, $120,000 a year. And then I did something fun. I said, why don't I just double that number? And so I doubled that number and I said, let's, let's make that the goal. All right. I like because, what you're talking now. Why not? Right. Yeah. Um, so then I it's started, all a game. It's all, it's just, yeah. I mean, after a while it does, it feels more like a game. So uh, then I started looking at how I could kind of ladder my way into the passive investing and out of the active rental game. So like I said, in 2022, I had, I think it was 250,000 in cash hanging around then i started and i started with investing that and then i restructured the heloc on my primary again in january and then i sold in the early 2023 the two properties that were month to month after, that i could identify that could sell earlier right because i, I want to sell in the spring right it's the ideal time yep if you can if you can control your destiny that's when you want to be listing your properties. Yeah. So when I decided in the winter time of 22, that this is the, the track I was going on, I had enough time to get those month to month tenants notice,
0: get them vacating in the middle of January to get fixed up to be listing into February. Can you walk us through kind of high level, just one of the numbers on these properties? Sure um so like in terms of like sale price yeah just like i mean um yeah just like hey when you you know you sold two this year just walk through like hey you know what you sold it for sure uh what you walked away with you know rough idea you know capital gains how you mitigated. just just some ideas like that yeah so um or numbers like that numbers like that so one of them
1: was a two bed one bath in uh east denver that was actually the one that i got stuck with trying to flip that was my first rental
0: oh from 2010 so that one
1: Ended up selling for uh, 380. I only had to put about fifteen thousand dollars into that one.
0: And again, to fix it up,
1: to fix it up, just you know, it needed some paint, carpet—that's pretty standard for for rentals. It needed just the cosmetic stuff, and then um, this other, the other one, this was a four-bedroom home ranch in Aurora. That one had a bit more deferred maintenance on it. That one was like forty-five thousand dollars worth of rehab. And so, by the time I sold those, paid back the the rehab costs, set aside because I'd owned those for a long time, so I was "That was going to be one hundred and sixty thousand in capital gains."
0: Yeah, what you? So we had this Aurora property. What'd you buy it for? What'd you sell it for? Oh, so I ended up selling that one for four eighty. So four eighty, and what'd you buy it for?
1: Bought that one for one hundred and twenty five thousand. Okay, yeah, and that other one that I sold for three eighty. I, I bought that one for. Sixty thousand dollars.
0: Okay, I mean, so awesome appreciation, but Incredible. also you get some of the the tax bills on there as well. Yeah, so the tax bills come in. Like I said, I had taken cash out of
1: those deals in the past, so you you really want to look at those numbers if you're looking to liquidate. If you especially if you've taken cash out, because your tax burden is on the basis when you bought that property. They mm-hmm. <laughs> don't care how much the debt is when you sell it. So when I looked at when I looked at like I said the analysis of of those angles there, what I, you know, what it would need for fix up, what I could them for paying the capital gains and then what I could reinvest. I was going to have about 250,000 more to invest there. But then I started figuring out more about the depreciation shares on some of the passive investments and found with, uh, working with the new accountant who, under, who understands the depreciation more than my old accountant did. Um, as I'm able to save about 80,000 on the capital gains right away,
0: so. So say, so, okay, so say those numbers again. I wanna make sure I understand this.
1: Yeah, so I was looking to have 250 to invest. Okay. And then it, it grew to you know, a little over 300,000 after I can take advantage of the depreciation. So that's basically deferred taxes that I can reinvest today and then later on when that fund kicks that money back out, then I'll have to pay that back to the government.
0: So help kind of connect some dots here. So I know if you don't mind me sharing, this, you know one of I know you invest in like one of you know Terrence Doyle's last value yeah. add fund, which yep. is you know a multifamily value add fund. And one nice thing about those funds is they're they're not new construction. You buy a property, you cost segregate it, and you can get massive amounts of depreciation in the first year or two yep. from cost segregation, accelerated depreciation, a couple other things on there as well. And so by investing in that. Um, even though you didn't do a 1031, a lot of that depreciation helped offset a big bite or about half of your expected yeah. capital gains and depreciation recapture. Absolutely. Cool. So if you guys, you know, obviously we're talking about this stuff, always, always, always talk to the CPA. Matt and I are not CPAs, nor are we your CPA. If you need a good CPA, we can recommend you some, so reach out to us. Um, but there are some very powerful strategies to help offset it and then kind of keep your money in growth mode because- that is where the distressed assets and opportunities right now in the commercial properties.
1: Yeah, and like I said, just with looking at like the option of doing a 1031, what I could buy, it just didn't make sense to, to not pay those taxes and get into an investment that didn't perform as well as like you say, like uh, Terrence Doyle's doing. Yeah. So it made sense for me. And again, this, you know, your risk profile is what it is or your, your strategy is what it is. When I looked at, like I said, being able to double the growth of my portfolio, and ladder my way into these investments so that in the future I've just got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars coming out of these investments annually to reinvest or scoop some off if I need to for annual expenses for my family.
0: Talk about the ladder, uh, Mm -hmm. because this took me a while to understand myself, and that's one of the strategies I incorporate now, and it's a different way of looking at investments rather than just pure monthly cash flow from a rental, because these syndications and funds, they are structured differently. So talk about what a ladder is and how you're structuring it.
1: Yeah, so um, just not wanting to kind of cut bait all at once for one thing. Um, And also just like I said, so I invested some some available capital in 2022. And the the strategy came from some of the funds that I've invested in are looking, are like about a five-year term on the fund. Yep. But a lot of them through sale of assets or refinance could be returning capital in, in year three. I was like, okay, well, if I'm getting capital back in year three, those 2022 investments should be hopefully having some capital come back in 2025. So then I was, I started looking at, well, with my strategy of getting out, getting some of that available capital invested now, and then the time frame of selling those rentals, it just kind of created this, this ladder of not investing everything all in one year, spreading it out. Plus then I, I get the... Uh, I, I get to hang on to some of that cash flow from these rentals, right? The two that I sold weren't weren't my weren't really great cash flowers. I had a a, a friends and family in one of them, so I was not. Mm. I was actually losing money on that one. And then uh, the other one was decent but under
0: rented. So like I, a long term tenant, just under market. Long
1: term tenant, but the the reason that one was under rented, is because they were getting government assistance, and there was only two of them in that larger house. Okay. So like I said. That is what, you know, it just, it was what it was. It worked at the time, but those two were easy to sell because of the, there were just, they were underperforming, not only from the return on equity standpoint, but just even on a cash flow standpoint. And so reallocating those funds over the three years with the latter concept, right? Invest in 22, invest in 23, invest in 24, should have capital return coming back in 25. Yep. And then that just seemed like it just set up a real natural, Flow to just money coming in and coming out of these passive investments, where kind of changed my mind, like you're saying, on cash flow from like monthly cash flow from a rental to just like larger chunks of invested money that become available again after a period of time. It's three to four years. And then, like I said, when I'll look at where I'm at financially in those, in those times, like if I'm, you know, doing enough other business where I don't need to touch that capital, it'll just go back and reinvest if I look at my situation, which I look at very much annually now, right? So I'll look at my reserves annually and be like, all right, if I've got enough annually in reserves, I'll, I'll reinvest all of that. If I need to replenish some of those reserves, I'll just take some of that out and replenish. Because then, you know, three about three years, you get the, the principal return. And then again, like the, in the, the gain is going to come around year five. So right, you get down the road a few years on this, and it's just it's just like going to be like a little Ferris wheel of money coming in and out of these deals.
0: Yeah, it, it's a it's a um, conceptual shift, yeah. but it's it's a very cool way to kind of like add a different you know investment cash flow and capital stack of returns yeah. to uh, real estate investing. Um, and then you mentioned investing in twenty twenty four. You're selling your other rentals next spring as well, right? Yeah. So i just
1: I just resigned what what will probably be my last lease agreement with a tenant. um I've had this tenant in this house for eight or nine years, and he always he's smart he likes to always have a lease agreement in place, so I can't just get him out month to month like I did those those other tenants, right so he likes that security so even even with you know getting him out in in January again, I set it for January fifteenth this year worked worked well last year, so I'm just gonna do the same thing. So we signed a lease agreement through January fifteenth and then um yeah, there's, those are two more in that East Denver neighborhood that, the, that we'll rehab and sell, and then I'll have that that capital available. And then we'll have to do the same thing, rehab them, get with the accountant, the CPA, figure out what the depreciation, I mean, what the capital gains are on those. I already have an idea of that, but property values may change. I may get more for those. I may not.
0: Probably pretty similar to what you did this year, it right? should be similar, yeah. Um,
1: and then, I, I mean, I obviously ran those numbers for next year on on this year's prices just so if there is any upside that's just a little a little gravy on the yeah a couple sprinkles on, the, on top little sprinkles yeah and then uh and then yeah we'll we'll just see what funds are available and obviously like i said i'm kind of looking more towards something like terrence doyle offers with a high depreciation cool
0: um matt this is this is fantastic and part of our camera help connect the dots because i know uh more and more people getting to know you know who you are what your name is you know through the the Portfolio analysis mastermind, and just kind of having some overlap in our networks. You know, recently we started working together on you know putting uh, you know deals together and raising money. Mm-hmm. And so I know some of our listeners have already talked to you, or you've you know called them or texted them. Yep. And so I'm very really happy to share that you know, as I like think a couple of weeks ago we officially started working together yeah. on putting more deals together. And obviously, you can tell with like you know Matt's background, like he has walked the walk, he has been in the trenches. He's taking his black eyes. He's taking his wins. Like, you know, he, he's in the game himself as well. And, you know, he's helping us there as well to, you know, raise money for Terrence's next deal and, and future deals as well. Just so everyone knows, like, hey, you'll be hearing from Matt if you do. He's on the team. Also, I want you to know, Mike, use Matt as a resource. Like, I, one of the things I love about podcasting is I get to talk to you and some other, like, successful investors. Like, hey, what have you done the last five years, 10 yeah. years, 15 years? Like, what can I learn? What can my audience learn as well? So if you guys want to reach out to Matt Please do so. Uh, we'll put his contact details in the show notes. Uh, but Matt, like from a high level, um, you know, we got people kind of in your position now where they have rentals right now. Your read on the market is just you're moving all passive. It sounds like, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just uh, I can't see a downside to it right now from from my vantage point with my goals um, in terms of growth. And then, like I said, how how it looks like those monies will come back out of these investments. So yeah, I've I've decided to make the the shift into this. And it's it's one of those things if if uh if I get into it it's not exactly what I think it is or I decide I want to do more active stuff later. Again, the market will be different in 3 to 5 years when when those and projects come due.
0: And you might take that money and go buy some rentals in 5 I, years. Yeah, you could go buy some rentals. So it's again,
1: it's not like a it's not like a it could be a forever switch, it could not be a forever switch. I don't know. I mean, I I'm just in the mindset like we said just kind of taking what the market is showing me as the best option I have at the time. And so, right now, like I said, just taking some of the lumps I've had with uh, syndicating deals and doing some out-of-state investing, you know, working pretty hard to make 8% on my money, <laughs> handing it to someone like Terrence Doyle, who I feel pretty confident is gonna, you know, double that or exceed that, That's that just, you know, helps me feel confident in in those decisions. Yeah. Just the the operators are just outstanding.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, you know, thanks a lot. And anyone out there, if you guys have questions on, you know, finding these deals and of course doing due diligence on these deals and sponsors, it's a different type of underlying than, you know, hey, what's the operating expenses on the rental property? Um, let us know. But also like we are gearing up to start our next portfolio analysis mastermind um, sometime in end of Q3, early Q4. So exactly what you know, Matt was part of last year. He'll be a big part of this one. So keep your eyes out for that. If anyone's out there is eager to go get their properties, analyze a new portfolio analysis session, go to propertylama.com, go create a free account, put your properties in there. Then just ping me or ping Matt. We're happy to get on the phone with you and like, just, Hey, help you kind of give... Give our two cents on your portfolio and see what opportunities that, you know, we'll give you our two cents on opportunities, upside, downside, and walk you all through that. I mean, that is like where a lot of our passions uh, lie as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. I mean, that, that'd be some advice
1: I'd give people as well. Like you asking earlier. It's just like it, once you've grown your portfolio to a point where I have, and maybe you're in a similar boat, get involved in the team game, right? Yes. Get involved in the team game. When I when I started teaming up with my with my good friend Chris Lawhead and, and business partner, it just it got easier. It just was nice to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. He kept me from doing some stupid things. I've kept him from doing some stupid things. That's the way it works. And and just expanding this network with with you and and it's just it just it feels like an amazing place to be. I just feel like I'm I know more. I feel like I'm getting to know more. And I just I, I want to help other people just reach their goals so let's just get together like you say analyze it figure out the best strategy to help people moving forward that's that that hits my passion
0: spot right now i love it well matt thank you so much i look forward to having on more podcasts more webinars and just uh i'm excited to have you on the team and you know we're all aligned on Investing strategies, but most importantly, helping investors figure out what they can do with their portfolio. Absolutely. So, thank you so much. Thank you. Everyone out it. there, you guys have any questions? Uh, Matt's contact details me in the show notes. Shoot me an email. I'm happy to introduce you guys that way as well. But plug into us for you know how to analyze your portfolio. Uh, contact Matt for a more detailed breakthrough of his numbers. And of course, if you need a CPA recommendation for CPA that actually knows real estate, please reach out to us. Matt, thanks again, man. Thank this you, has been a blast. Matt, yeah, appreciate it. Thank <laughs>